want to make sure that we acknowledge uh, the important role of fathers. That um, I mean, I I often think of my dad. I called him last night. He's in Ecuador right now, and um, we did a little Skype chat and uh, wished him a happy Father's Day. And um, I, I just the important role that he had in my life, the significance of, honestly, he's my hero. And um, today, remember, fathers, take time, thank your father. Take time to make a call, write a note, do something. Because I think we, we often fail to recognize uh, the significance of what dads do, just as we um, mentioned a couple weeks ago with moms. But it, it also struck me just uh, yesterday um, that God, it's so cool that he relates to us as a father. And that the very love that he pours out is the very love he requires and asks us as fathers to pass along as well. We are uh, going to jump into the final um, little talk on the book of Jonah. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Jonah 4. I'm just going <clears> to <throat> give you a little recap of where we've been over the last uh, four weeks we, we talked at the very beginning about the fact that Jonah had a Nineveh. What we mean by that is he had this area in his life that he was unwilling to go. That God asked him to go into it. God asked him to step into something and he said, hey, that's, that's kind of off limits for me. And we asked the question, do you have a Nineveh? Is there an area in your life where presently you're unwilling to go as it relates to God and what his call is for you? We talked a little bit further in chapter 1 about the fact that in chapter 1 there's three movements that took place in the text. There's this movement away where Jonah fled, and it was this movement of disobedience. Then there was a, a movement down, a movement of consequences, that everything in the text kept pointing down, that he went down into the sea, that he went down in, and then uh, down into the boat, and then down into the fish, and that there's this movement down. And then last we talked about this movement or trajectory up, that it was the grace of God in chapter 1 that moved Jonah into chapter 2, and we talked about what movement is taking place in our life. Are we someone in a movement away from God, a movement down into what we're living in, or a movement toward God and up toward His grace? We then talked in chapter 2 about this idea of Jonah and uh, the idols that he had in his life. That he had this um, idolatry, and really it's whenever you have to choose between God and someone else, or something else, whoever wins is really your God. And we kind of beg the question, what is the area in your life, or what is your God? Who is your idol? Where is your allegiance going? We chased after that question a little bit. Then this last week, we contrasted Jonah and Nineveh. Jonah being this rebellious kind of moving away from God, and yet Nineveh being the people who were on their knees, repentant, godly, broken, pursuing this relationship. And we asked the question, what, what posture are we as a community taking? And then today, <clears throat> today is the conclusion, chapter 4, and uh, it's really all about expectations. And we're going to ask some questions as it relates to this idea of expectations. I think that life in general is made of expectations. I mean, if you think about it, we have expectations about all kinds of things. And, and much of life boils down to the expectations, the difference between those and reality. 
that we often find, whether consciously or subconsciously, this idea that there's certain things that we're hoping for or expecting, and then life maybe perhaps gives us something different. I'm sure that each of us could share an illustration or example of a time in our life where we had this dream or expectation of something great, and what happened was something far less exciting. Or the reverse, that there was some area in our life that we didn't expect much of, and it turned out to be more than amazing. And I think expectations affect almost every area of our life. Let me give you a couple examples. One would be advertising. Expectations affect advertising. This is a picture of dish soap. But in America, this is magic for your dishes. I mean, this right here is the kind of thing where if you advertise it right, you create expectations that if you buy this, not only will your dishes be clean, you will save the planet and lose weight all at the same time. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect scenario. It's, it's awesome. Uh, here's another example. Um, maybe with what you eat, there's this advertisement that this food would be like this, and yet what you unwrap might not quite look like what was billed. Right? You get the idea that over and over, we, we find this disparity between expectations and reality. We set up uh, life this way. You can drop that one. We set up life this way. What I mean is there's reviews. There's a, here, here we go. Maybe you have expectations socially. That you've been off of Facebook for a week with expectations that when you come back there will be great, great things happening in your world and you come back and you see this instead. Maybe you've been there. We also have expectations as it relates to just general life. And what I mean by that is we create reviews. Reviews about movies, reviews about books, products, restaurants. The whole point of reviews, the whole point of product, um, you know, review or product, just the idea of what is it that we're expecting, right? I mean, you don't want to show up to a movie and think that this is going to be the next greatest movie and then walk out and go, that was horrible. But that happens. But we create these things in life to, to help us to see this disparity between what it is that we're hoping for and what it is that really becomes true. In fact, I would say we do this with important areas of our life as well. Some of us on the verge of stepping into marriage or some of us in marriage have had or have expectations of marriage. Today is Father's Day. We have expectations of fathers. Your relationship with your father might be amazing, or it might not, and some of that might be due to expectation. Some of it relates to our spiritual life, that we have expectations about our relationship with God. The list could go on and on. There's all these areas of life. I would even say that we are born into expectation. That some of us, whether we know it or not, we're born into just an assumption that we would be middle class, that we would have a certain level of comfort, that we would have a college education, that we would have, the list goes on. Others may have been born into poverty, this sense of, I, I'm not going to get out of this, or this is my life. 
Man, if you, if you look globally at expectations, there's some people that would never even dream of some of the things that we for, always take for granted. I think it's even just woven into the very DNA of America. Recently, I came across this uh, commencement address by a lady named Toni Morrison. She says this, I have often wished that Jefferson had not used that phrase, the pursuit of happiness is the third right. I would rather he had written, life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaningfulness, or integrity, or truth. Speaking to the college students, she says, I know that happiness has been the real, if covert, goal of your labors here. I know that it informs your choice of companions, the profession you will enter. But I urge you, please do not settle for happiness. It is not enough. Personal success, devoid of meaningfulness, free of a steady commitment to social justice, that, that's more than a barren life. It's a trivial one. It's looking good instead of doing good. I'm convinced that our expectations paint a picture for our hope for the future, they paint a picture of the things that we aspire to. They create all kinds of things in our life. And I would say that expectations even affect our relationship with God. That we often, whether we want to admit it or not, have expectations of God. And I think Jonah 4 is all about the disparity between Jonah's expectations and the reality of what happened. So this morning, what I want us to do for just a few minutes is to consider, are our expectations of God that dissimilar to Jonah's? Because perhaps we have very similar expectations. So, if you're already at Jonah 4, we're going to look at two primary expectations Jonah had. He had expectations related to people or relationships, and he had expectations related to circumstances or experiences. Those two areas. If you have your Bible and you're looking verses 1 through 5, it says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. I'm going to pause there, but, but check this out. In chapter 3, we talked about it last week. We get to this place where Jonah declares truth to the city of Nineveh. And then the results are amazing. So we transition into chapter 4 here, and what we should expect is something quite different than what we run into, right? I mean, here's what happened. Jonah walks into the middle of Nineveh. He says to them, you will be destroyed. The entire city repents. There's mass revival taking place. I mean, picture it this way. Imagine if one of us flew into Spokane, landed, walked to the center of the city, 
and said to whoever was around, in 40 days, this entire city will be destroyed. And all of a sudden, everyone starts telling everyone who tells everyone, and the entire city bends their knee and says, we will honor God with our life. We will follow Jesus. I I want my life changed. I completely turn the opposite direction. I'm pursuing Jesus. I mean, if that happened, not only would it just revolutionize the city, but Jonah, I mean, he'd be on a book tour. I mean, he'd be conference speaker going from place to place. He'd be the expert on city revival. I mean, he'd be writing a book like Three Easy Steps to Lead Your Whole City to Jesus. I mean, it, it would be nonstop. The buzz, the excitement, the, the life change that took place in the city. And what we should expect at this moment as readers, if we came to the story for the first time, is that when we get to chapter 4, Jonah is pumped. This whole city, over 120,000 plus people gave their life to, to God. And yet what we find is that he's angry. He's pissed off. He's mad. He's frustrated. He says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. What they should have got was judgment. What they should have got was not this. A little side note. I think it's just fascinating that in the text, the Bible never communicates that they're going to repent. The Bible never even says that God asked them to repent. All the Bible says is that Jonah is supposed to go in and declare destruction, judgment. And instead, when they hear that, they turn. And Jonah is angry, not at Nineveh, mind you, but he's angry at God. And he takes it a step further, because this is what he does. In verse 5, if you notice, it it says that he's angry, he's frustrated, he says to God, how could this be? I knew you were going to do this, this really frustrates me, and then he goes out of the city, he sits up on the hill, and he watches the city. Now, we already know, because of what he's communicating here, that Jonah knew repentance was already taking place. But the verse says that he went up on the hill to look down on the city and see what might become of it. I am convinced that what Jonah was doing is setting up camp waiting for them to change their mind. He's waiting to prove God wrong, in essence. He's he's going up to the top of the hill, waiting and saying, okay, yeah, you made this decision for Jesus, that's great, but it's not going to last. And I'm going to see the whole city turn, and then God's going to rain down destruction, and then I'm going to go, see, told you. I mean... They don't serve you like we serve you. They don't love you like we love you. They don't. So he's describing, in essence, with his actions, this disparity between him and them. That God, I'm, I'm worthy of grace. I'm worthy of favor. I'm worthy of all of these things, but they are not. Their position with you is different than my position with you. And so he looks, in essence, 